Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. I don't know if uh, it might just be me, but uh, have you ever had a regret of how you handled yourself in a uh, crisis situation? <laughs> you ever been in a crisis situation and it's like, situation? <laughs> you ever been in a crisis situation and it's like, oh man, I should have done something a little different, you know, in that um, I always have a high respect for all the first responders and all the people who had just no big deal for them to run towards something instead of away from something. Uh, I was uh, young in my life before I met my uh, wife, and, um, and I was, so I was dating, uh, and yes, people went out with me before my wife, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I was on a date, and, and uh, I was nervous about the date, and when I get nervous, or girl, uh, to, to the movies, uh, and when I get nervous, I eat, so I'm like, okay, uh, let's, let's go to snack bar and get like everything on the menu. Um, I figure if you keep eating and I keep, we won't have to talk. We can just sit, watch the movie, it'd be all right. As we're in line, there, uh, and there was a long line that night. Um, there, there was a little scuffle coming out of one of the other movies. You know, the theater had emptied out, and there's a little scuffle between a couple guys. And they went, into the, went outside of the building into the parking lot. The, the building was all windows, you know, at the entrance, so you could see what was happening. And then pretty soon at one point you see a couple of the guys go get in their car. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's over. I'm still waiting, you know, for butter on my popcorn. And, and then uh, you can hear a vehicle, you know, in cars they, they do the thing where they start burning out or whatever you call it, you know, make skid marks. And you're seeing this, you know, I, I'm not good with imp- impersonating a car. But anyway, they, they come around and the window rolls down. And this is before everything, you know, now happens every week it seems, but they, they roll around in front of the theater, they stop, and the window comes down. The guy pokes his head out. He's got a pistol. Now, Hero would have thrown himself in front of his date and would have said, I got you. What I did was threw my date in front of me. Yeah, 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 she knows. Yeah, all in front of me. Um, yeah, so maybe it is just me who regrets how they handle crisis situations. Uh, and obviously, we didn't have a second date. Uh, and, you know, who knows? You know, if I'd have done that better, you know, maybe that was, you know, Mrs. Mrs. Hill. Oh, wait, no. Um, no, my wife's a huge blessing. Don't get me wrong. And uh, welcome online. I just remembered they're watching, and she's in Washington with her folks, and so... She probably just saw me wrap myself out. Anyway, um, just forget that. But, but no, the point is, is when we're in a crisis situation, the, one of the things we all know, or many of us know or have been told is, the last thing you want to do is lose control of, you know, of your emotions and panic and freak out and do something because it's going to make things worse, right? You don't just want to run around and yell, the sky's falling, and do a chicken little thing or whatever else. You really want to do something that's strategic, you know, and oftentimes maybe be prepared. And it, it made me think of, because I, I saw this thing online uh, about one uh, organization, the Peace Corps in the 70s, wanted to make sure they prepared their folks, because if you know anything about the Peace Corps, you, you join the Peace Corps, and then they often send you to these remote environments that you're probably not used to. Some of them you don't even know that they existed or that these names were only on a map. You didn't know anything about them. So you encounter things that you're not used to in your regular everyday life, wherever it is you may be from. And so they came up in their manual with a how-to 
uh, survive a particular crisis. And so I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but this would be helpful for you. This is back in the 70s. I don't know if they've adjusted the manual or if they've gotten rid of the manual. I'm not sure. But this was online. It's a how to survive uh, an anaconda attack. <laughs> I don't know if you've anybody ever seen, an, okay, maybe a garden snake. I got worms in my front yard. You know, I, I don't know about anacondas. But anyway, this is how you survive an anaconda attack. Number one, do not run. I know, most of you are like, that's the first thing, just run. No, no, the snake is faster than you are, according to the manual. It's an anaconda. Number two, lie flat on the ground, put your arms tight against your sides and your legs tight against each other. Number three, tuck your chin in. Number four, the snake will begin to nudge and climb over your body. So number five, do not panic. Anaconda's climbing all over your body. Don't panic. Number six, the snake will begin to swallow your feet first. Number seven, you must lie perfectly still because this will take a long time. You guys happy you came to church today? Number eight, when the snake has reached your knees, so start at my feet, now it's up to my knees. I'm still lying still with my chin in, not panicking. Hands to the side. It says, then when the snake has reached your knees, reach down, take your knife, slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg. Quickly rip upward, severing the snake's head. I know. I don't even know if Peace Corps is in business anymore. Anyway, number nine. Number nine, be sure you have your knife. <laughs> and number 10, be sure that your knife is sharp. So maybe, just maybe, hopefully, as you come in today, no one has experienced an attack by an anaconda. But I would imagine that every single one of you have come in under some form of attack. I'll bet something's going on in everyone's life that is some level of an attack. If you are someone who has no attack going on in your life, then you need to think about all the people who think you're attacking them, you know, because that means you're doing that. But the point is, is that all of us have been dealing probably with some level of attack in our families, at our jobs, in our neighborhoods. We've dealt with some level of attack maybe throughout our lives. Maybe there's things that happened long ago that are still attacking you. There, there, there could be a lot of things in our lives that, that, that you are under attack about. And you may in your mind think that you understand the source of the problem, that where the attack's coming from, who it is that's responsible for it, the situation that brought it about. And one of the things that we wanted to do in this series that we're in is talk about the fact that every one of your attacks and my attacks, every one that we are experiencing, even the ones that we may even be a part of, attacking someone else or something else in some way, every place where we're being attacked, the enemies that we think are the enemies, the sources that we think are the sources, they're just puppets. They're not the actual source. They're not the actual enemy. The truth is what we've been learning is that there is an enemy that we do not see. There is a battle that we do not see. Uh, that the actual battle is a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. It's not an earthly battle, but it's a spiritual battle. 
And it goes on in realms that we don't even see. And the enemies are enemies that we don't know. It's not flesh and blood, but they are enemies uh, that, that are strategically working and operating within the systems of this world and within the systems of our families and within the systems of our sin and our lives and, and all of the history that's gone on to attack us for spiritual reasons and for spiritual wins and losses. And one of the goals that they have is for us to be blind to that, for us to stay unawake to that, for us to think that the battle is about something that is minuscule compared to the realities of the greater battle. And that's what we've been talking about. And what we've wanted to do is say, hey, maybe what we should do is get battle ready and be able to be ready for this battle that we don't see. So over the summer, we've been unpacking this text in Ephesians 6, and we've been talking about lots of different ways that we can prepare and be ready for the battle by taking on, because if we understand that the actual battle is spiritual, not physical, and then we understand, which we've been talking about, that to engage this battle, then we need to engage it with spiritual weapons, and we need to engage it for spiritual reasons, and we need to dig deeper beyond what we see right in front of us, then we're going to have to figure out what those spiritual weapons and strategies and reasons are. And so Ephesians chapter 6 uh, kind of breaks a lot of this down, and we've been talking about the armor of God. And, and before you think this is something out of like Narnia, <laughs> you know, or Lord of the Rings or some other weird, it's a metaphor that's being used for us to describe the battle, the armor, I should say, that we could wear into this battle. But each piece, while it has an, an allusion to something that happened in history, generally the Roman soldiers of ancient times, it has a reality or truth that's built in the spiritual realm. So we want to see what this is. So week one, we just talked about the reality of the battle. And week two, we talked about the belt of truth. And week three, the breastplate of righteousness. And week four, the shoes that bring the gospel message of peace. Last week, we talked about the shield of faith. If you missed any of those, you can go back on our website and listen to all of them and catch up. Uh, but the point is that these are all found in Ephesians chapter 6. And we've been reading this main text each week so you can hear the whole thing. I want to read it for you today out of the NLT, which is the New Living Translation, uh, which is... Um, you know, in the original language of, of the documents that we get Scripture from, they were written in Greek, Aramaic, uh, there's Hebrew uh, for the Old Testament. And so they have to be translated because I don't know anybody here that speaks Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew. I don't know if you do or not, but I know I don't. So they have translated into English, even Spanish, other languages. Well, you know in any translation, when you go from one language to another, there's always little subtle differences. and something. It doesn't change the meaning of it. It just kind of, you know, you get a little word here that's a little more emphasized than over here. And, the, and, and so it gives new insight. And, and so I want to read for you out of the New Living Translation, which is a translation we haven't read uh, from our weekends yet. So here it is in Ephesians 6, verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared." In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. 
Now today, what I want to zero in on is that helmet of salvation. Take salvation as your helmet, it said, or put on salvation as your helmet in the NLT. In the NIV, it says, take the helmet of salvation. I want to focus in on that because as Paul, who is writing this, has described sort of the armor and he's talked about belts and shoes and, you know, breastplates and shields and all of that. He's coming now to the helmet. In, in, in the Roman you know, setting, even any setting, really, in our own military, any, any type of warfare or even sometimes conflict, you think about a football player, whatever, they wear helmets. Well, part of the reason for that, as you can imagine, is because it's to protect the head. Because we know that if you have blunt force trauma to your head, you're going to have issues. Even in the NFL, they'll play for years and then later find out there were concussions and that it caused damage. And some guys have even lost their lives in their 40s and 50s after a career in the NFL because even though they wore a helmet, it still didn't protect them. So the head is very important because obviously it's a key component to staying alive and staying in the battle. And it's not hard to draw the conclusion that Paul is making where He's not talking about our physical head in that sense when he says put on the helmet of salvation. He's talking about what oftentimes we say is in our head, which is our minds. It's important for us to draw that distinct or that conclusion to say what Paul is talking about is, is cover your mind, prepare your mind in the context of your salvation. And when he says the word salvation, what he's referring to is our relationship with Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is prepare your mind and put it in a position where what controls your mind, the filter that is the thing that you see everything through and that your mind operates through, is your relationship with Jesus. That your relationship with Jesus is not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a compartmental thing. It's not just something that, oh, I do as a hobby. It's No, it's everything. And that everything that you do and think and dream and plan for and every way in which you react and every way in which you respond and everything that you do in your life with your family, your kids, your job, your neighborhood, everyone who sees you, let them see you through your relationship with Christ. So, how do your friends see you? How does your wife or husband see you? How does your boyfriend or girlfriend see you? How do your professors see you? How does your job, your boss see you? How do the people in your neighborhood who live around you see you? Because the truth is that Paul understood something, why he said this, and by the way, being the most critical component, our heads, that would really literally determine our lives. It's not that there's not other body part. you know, I wouldn't want to be missing an arm, I wouldn't want to be missing a foot or any of those, but the truth is if you damage your head, there's a point where you stop living. You're done. And so Paul is saying the most important thing, the most important piece in many ways that you could put on deals with your relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot go into a battle without a helmet. You will not engage the spiritual battle without a relationship with Jesus. And what you cannot do is go into a battle where that part of your, your armor is distracting or, or, or is somehow questioned or is in some way limiting your ability or movement or anything. You, you have to have that in place. Or you will be defeated in battle. And so what's important for us to understand is that the other reason that, that Paul says this is because he understood that the enemy will attack us many ways, first and foremost, in our minds. That the spiritual battle and the difference between us thriving for Jesus or just barely surviving for Jesus or actually being one who runs away from the battle and becomes, you know, uh, absent from Jesus, it's in our minds. 
Because the enemy will attack our minds, and you know this, and I know that you know this, and I know that you know that I know that you know this. Because <laughs> all of us wrestle in our minds, do we not, with doubts, with discouragement? Do we not wrestle with past failures and sins and other things? The enemy, and even our own flesh, which is part of the enemy's system, will attack us there. Now, some of you are sitting here, and you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. And you might still have a battle in your mind. Do you know the whole weight of culture is battling your mind? Do you know that one of the things that you brought in here that you probably hardly ever want to be without is part of the culture's battle for your mind? It's your device, your phone, your iPad, your, do people still use Androids? Whatever, you know, whatever you use, it's a device, a system. It started way back in the 50s with TVs, and they were like, this is going to break up the family. Everybody said, ah, oh, that's ridiculous, that's silly. And yet, pretty soon, it was everybody around one TV, and then it was, oh, I want a TV in my room, and I want a TV in my room. And then everybody had their own TV, and so their family started to set. Now everybody's got their own devices. Now they even put stuff in their ear so they don't even have to hear oxygen. You know what I mean? Like, you just, I'm, gonna, I'm in my room, but the door's closed. What do, you have, what do you need your, well, I just, it's isolating us, and it's moving us into a place where the enemy can attack. And then what we're looking at are things that are our frontal attack on our minds every single day. Comparison and competitiveness because we see things, and then, and then there's even materialism and, and then covetousness because we want what we see. And, and, then, and then there's all of the images that go on that are sexual in nature and that are derived to attack our brains. And I'm not trying to be somebody from some, you know, medieval times trying to tell you about the danger of this. I'm saying that the whole point is to distract you. Why? Because then you disengage your mind because now you're just sitting there. Most of the time, you ever watch yourself when you watch something? Anybody ever taken a picture of you? Usually your mouth is half open and you're frozen and people are talking to you. You don't hear it. This is what's happening on a spiritual sense too. And what's happening is God is speaking to us and God is calling to us. And God is inviting us. And we're so stuck in our own culture, we're just staring at it with our mouths open and our ears closed. And then we wonder, once in a while we wake up and we go, where's God? It's in our minds. So it's so critical for us to understand that if he's going to discourage, cause us discouragement and cause us doubt, that, that we have to see that his goal is to undermine our confidence in God's love, in his care, in his provision, in his interest in us. And some of you may be here today, and those are some of your very doubts. There's no God. If there was, he wouldn't care. And if he did, would he care about me? And if he cared about me, is he going to help me with my life? And I don't know if he would. Does he have time? What's going on? That's stuff from the enemy to mess with your mind. And so I thought we could spend our time, our remaining time, just talking a little bit about how we could uh, begin to prepare our minds, begin to take that helmet of salvation and put it on. And what can we do with our minds to prepare our minds so that we can be ready for this battle? And the first thing that I thought, as I found in Colossians chapter 3, was this point. I think we have to start with setting our minds. Set your mind. Set your mind. That means you have to make a conscious decision to set your mind. Where? On what? Where do I set my mind? Well, Paul writes in Colossians and says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. So if you're a follower of Jesus, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So therefore put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The first thing that they taught us, we were, as a staff, one day we had a training on active shooters and how to counter that and what's going on because it's, it's like every week it seems like all the time everywhere these days and it's sad and we pray for it to stop. But how do we prepare ourselves for something like that? 
And, and one of the first things that the trainer told us was you got to first just be willing to breathe, set yourself, and be focused on what's happening. You cannot lose your mind during this thing. You cannot panic. You cannot just try to run. You cannot just, you know, scream and go anywhere you can or just, he said, you got to first start with getting yourself settled. I think it's the same thing with the spiritual battle. First thing we have to do is take a deep breath in and set our minds. Say on what? On an eternal perspective. We have to stop looking at this world as being the only thing that everything's about. Here's another thing that maybe some of you might like and some of you won't. you got to stop making yourself the only thing that the world is about. And we got to start getting to a place where we recognize that this world is not just about me and it's not just about what I see, that it's actually about our creator God and about our savior Jesus Christ and about his agenda in this world, which is why Jesus said when you pray, pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. What that means is his will is in heaven. It's not happening on earth and we should be praying about that. And we should be trying to help make that happen. And what is God's will, by the way, on earth? That all people would be saved and come into a relationship with him. And what we sometimes find ourselves doing is compartmentalizing our faith. Churches on Sundays, and then maybe sometimes I come another day, and then maybe I do this religious thing or this, that religious thing, and I want to kind of feel better about myself. I and mean, even in our worship, sometimes we, you know, we'll leave a worship service, you know, that we call a worship service. We'll come out of church. How did church go? Ah, I didn't feel it. Oh, okay, I'm wondering if God felt it. Because isn't it worship of God, not of our, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just, and I know some of you are like, okay, you're getting, okay, I didn't come to church for this, John. Okay, that's fine. What I'm saying is at some point we have to decide that we're going to set our minds and make the priorities what they need to be and put them in balance. Jesus would say, seek first God and his kingdom, his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. Do you recognize that sometimes the messes of our lives, the things that are out of place, the things that we think most about that stress us out the most and all of that are a result of the fact that we don't have God in the right position in our lives. Our minds are set on other things that are not God. Our jobs, our advancement in our, in our careers, our children. Do you know that you can worship your kids over God? I know there's people who will set aside things that God is calling them to do because their kid has travel ball. And their kid's not even having fun at it. That you're, you're the one having fun. You think you're going to somehow make it to the majors if your kid makes it to the majors. And your kid's pretty good, but they don't even like the game. And you're arguing with the parents, and you think you're right. Okay, whatever. I know. Some of you are like, were you watching my game? Okay, anyway, here's the thing. The reality is that we have to begin to put to death our old nature. That's what it means to set our mind. So I would ask you, when's the last time that you sat down and you made a list of the things that are part of your old nature that you're still carrying around? I know when I made my list, I had to think about things like anger and bitterness I had to think about impatience. I had to think about perfectionism. I had to think about a lot of things that I wasn't comfortable with. And I had to say, you know what, Jesus, you're calling me to put those things to death. So I need to be about that. I need to set my mind on, on that. You know what it did? It, it sort of helped me to stop being so critical of other people, for instance. It, because, because I wasn't dealing with my own perfectionism or my own whatever. It, it helped me to start being more patient with other people because I recognized it's really about Jesus and me helping them to find more Jesus and not really them doing something for me. And it's helped me to love my wife better. And it's helped me to do, I mean, because I started to sit down and say, what are the things that I need to put to death? Because I'm still dragging them around like a corpse that I was supposed to let go of. And instead of bearing it, I'm still carrying it. And I don't know what that is for you, but it's an exercise that you may want to engage in. Just sit down in the quietness of your own heart. Don't play a bunch of things on your devices and whatever else. And just you and God have a conversation and say, what is in my life, God? Search me, try me. See if there's anything unclean in me. What is it that I can 
let go of. Here's number two. We need to set our minds. We also need to guard our minds. And this is a little bit of a tricky statement because I'm going to just tell you up front, the spoiler alert, you can't guard your own mind. <laughs> well, why'd you put it here, Pastor? Okay, because look at Philippians. Here's what you can do. You can, you can do something with your mind that sets you in an environment where your mind can be guarded, not by you, but actually by someone even better. Because look at Ephesians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, watch this, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, what, one more time, whose peace? The peace of God, who transcends all understanding, will do what with your mind and your heart? Guard it. You don't have to guard your own mind. You need to put yourself in an environment where Jesus will guard your mind and your heart. Well, wait, how do I do that, Pastor? Well, we just read it. It starts with rejoicing in the Lord. First of all, to rejoice in the Lord, and Paul was so adamant about it, he said, I'm going to say it again, rejoice. He wasn't trying to be churchy. What he's trying to say is, is that do you have as the primary joy of your life, the thing that fills you the most, the secret sauce to life, Tell me what is your best day about. Is it because of your relationship with God? Is it, is it built into that relationship with God? The best thing about my life and my day is that I know my creator and I walk with a living Savior. He said, well, man, I thought it was like my wife or my kids. or Even those things should be seen and viewed as blessings and gifts from your creator for you to enjoy. And for them to enjoy you. Why? Because hopefully you all are enjoying him. So the first step is you got to put a priority on the joy that you find. So your joy isn't in stuff. Your joy isn't in finances. Your joy isn't in success. Your joy, listen, it's not that you can't enjoy those things. It's that those aren't the primary things. Those aren't the goal. That's not the thing for being the thing. Does that make sense? It's not. If I just had more blank, then that, no, no. If you had more Jesus, or maybe better, if Jesus had more of you, your life would be better. That's what Paul is saying. Then what that does is it drives us to become humble people. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That's a, a statement to humility, which is an elevation of God and an elevation of others beyond ourselves. So your life stops being about me, and it starts to be about the fact that the Lord is near. So now I want to go and be gentle toward others so that they might possibly, by some chance, see the love of Christ through me. And then it says... I stop worrying, I stop battling anxiety, I stop trying to take control of all the situations, but instead, by everything, in every situation, I make my requests known to Jesus through prayer. My prayer life does not become a checklist for a cosmic Santa who's going to give me everything that I want because I'm a spoiled child and I want to be blessed by you, Jesus, about everything. I want this cereal. You can't have that cereal. I want that cereal. No, you can't have that cereal. Okay, what about this cereal? And even if you get that cereal, well, now I want this cereal. Oh, no, now I want their cereal. Oh, wait, now I Why? Because you stopped rejoicing in the Lord. Because you stopped being humble. And now that's made you, brought you to a place of deep anxiety and worry and strain and stress. And you've stopped being thankful. And so the peace of God has left you. You have no peace of God. You have no peace at all. Your peace is circumstantial. 
and your mind is not guarded. And so you think, I'll just do it through sheer will. I'll just, uh, I'll just human will. We'll just make it happen. I'll just meditate. I'll just declare my blessings. I'll just manifest. I'll just, all of these things. And Jesus is like, go ahead. How's that going to work out for you? You go ahead and manifest your little heart away. And then you see the person who is rejoicing in the Lord and who is humble and who is not practicing anxiety and worry and fear and stress, but instead bringing everything to the Lord, casting all their cares upon him because you know he loves you and he cares for you. And even in the things that you don't even know how it's going to work out or why, you know that he knows and you know that he's got this. So you know there's nothing for you to worry about or fear so that you're going to trust him in this because you know that he will not waste your pain. He will not waste your, your fear. He will not waste your time in dealing with this situation. He has a plan. You may not see it, but he knows it. He's never woken up out of bed. He's not even in bed, but even if he was, you're not going to wake him up and God's like, man, I didn't see that one coming. I don't know what we're going to do. God never freaks out. So there's nothing for us to be anxious about. That doesn't mean we're not concerned. It doesn't mean we don't do what we can. That doesn't mean that all that. But we don't lose our minds. And then it says the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. The word in the Greek there is a, of a sentry who would, who would be assigned to a post and will not let anything violate that post. That's how strong God's peace is in your life. Then he goes on. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true or noble or right or pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You have to prepare your mind by putting your mind on those kinds of things. So bitterness and gossip and pornography and all of those are not, any, they're not in that list. But yet we spend all of our time on those things. Social media and all of that. Many of you, we need to get rid of social media because all it does is cause you stress and strain. Who they think they are. Oh, I'm sure that's Photoshopped. Oh, I don't want to look at that. Oh, and they think they're good. And you're just walking away all bitter and upset. And then, you know, but look at all my friends. He also says, whatever you've learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. We can have both God's peace guarding our hearts and minds and his presence walking alongside of us. We have to employ the peace of God. We have to put it to work. We've got to start to build into our lives something that helps put that to work. So we first set our minds, and then we guard our minds. And then here's number three. And this is, could have been first, but I feel like it was good to put it here. You need to make up your mind. There's a lot of us here, and I've had seasons in my life where this is my struggle. I just can't make up my mind. I think the first place to make up your mind is about a relationship with Jesus. And then I think the next thing about, that you have to make up your mind with is, is the relationship that I have with Jesus going to be what I'm all about? Or is it only going to be what I'm partially about or conveniently about or comfortably about? But as soon as it becomes uncomfortable, as soon as it becomes inconvenient, as soon as it challenges what I think I probably really want but just don't want to admit to myself, I'm out the door. And now I'm a deserter from the faith. Or do I make up my mind that says, nope, I'm with you, Jesus, in the storm, out of the storm, through the storm, before the storm, I'm with you. Like Peter would say, where else am I going to go? Because I'm sure we have testimonies in here of people who ran from Jesus during a storm or saw a storm or they, things got uncomfortable and inconvenient. And you're probably back because you have a story that you figured it out. After you left Jesus, you realized that wasn't the right move. You threw other people in front of the guy <laughs> instead of coming to Jesus. Make up your mind. 
Jesus started out as, as an answer to the question, what is the greatest command? What's the best thing that I can do, Jesus, to please God? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all what? Your mind. Sometimes we're really into loving God with our heart, our emotions, our feelings. But sometimes we let our heart and our emotions and our feelings take over for, for our mind. And the reality is, is that feelings and emotions are like desserts. They really enhance the experience, but you don't want to live on them. Because if all you ever do is eat desserts, you've got issues. I know this because I was going down that route for a while. And I understand how unhealthy it makes us. And our whole culture, you can talk about all the addiction to sugar and all that other stuff. The point is, is that they're okay in their place. But the reality is, is that it's the mind that creates the healthy meal and if you look at it like a train, the, the, the mind needs to be the engine. The emotions are the caboose. And if you let that caboose start to run the train, you're going off the track. So what we need are thinking believers who worship Jesus with their minds and let their minds inform their emotions so that their emotions are in line with what they know. And then what happens is when you're attacked and the enemy wants you to panic, you will not panic because you will rely on what you know, even if it's not what you feel. You'll stay in your marriage if you know, I want to be committed to this person, even though I don't feel it right now. You will stay pure in a single relationship that you're dating and you're single and you're wrestling with whether or not to give your body to someone. You will stay pure if you know that Jesus has promised that it is worth it to wait instead of giving in to the pressure of saying, but let me try this out. And even the insanity of the world that says, well, don't you want to see if you're a good fit? Well, here's the thing. If I've never had any sex and they've never had any sex and we get married, we fit. But if you don't know that and you don't rely on that, your emotions will get out of check. So make up your mind. Do I trust Jesus or do I trust the world or myself? Paul would say to not be conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into its mold. But be transformed by the renewing of your what? Our mind has to be changed. We don't change our mind. Jesus changes. and He renews. His spirit renews our mind. And that's why he would say, I'm begging you, I'm beseeching you on behalf of God and all of his mercies and everything that he's done for you. Make your bodies a living sacrifice. Give yourself to God. Make up your mind. I want to talk to some of you who are here to, to this morning and you have not given your life to Christ. You came into church. Maybe you're watching one of the ones getting baptized. Maybe you came in because... Someone made you. I know that happens sometimes. Maybe you came in because you're just desperate and you don't know what else to do. And you're here now. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him. Some of you may be coming back after a long time. Some of you may have even been here for a while and you've just been kind of getting flat in your feet. Listen, Jesus is, is inviting each of us into a deeper, more intimate, a more fulfilling relationship with him. And if you've never made that choice, today is that day. You do not want to wait any longer. At sunrise, we talk about the ABCs of coming to know Christ. It's admitting that I have a need. It's admitting that, that in my life, the way that I'm living my life, the choices that I'm making, the things that I'm doing are not going to lead to ultimate satisfaction. They're not going to lead to the place that God wants me to be. God has given each of us a God-given capacity that he wants us to reach. My life's not going to get me there the way I'm doing. So I have to believe that there's someone or something out there that can help me with this. And so the B is believing that Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is the one who came and lived an earthly life with no sin, 
with no error, with, with nothing that he did that would be an affront to God, completely holy and righteous life, and yet paid the penalty of death that should only be paid by those who have sinned, which is all of us. And he didn't just pay it for some, but he paid it for everybody. And he took sin on himself and he died on a cross. And that'd be the end of the story if that's all there was. But you know what? They buried him and three days later, guess what? He came out of the tomb. That wasn't a good, you know, listen. Those of you who know Jesus, that was a great place for applause. So in three days, he came out of the tomb. In all my life, nobody's ever told me Buddha came out of a tomb. Nobody's ever told me Muhammad came out of a tomb. Nobody's ever told me Confucius came out of a tomb. Nobody's ever told me that any atheist has ever come out of a tomb. But I have a whole history of thousands of years of witnesses who have said Jesus came out of a tomb. And he's asking us to believe that, trust in it. And then to see us commit my life to him and to his way of life. So I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to just lead you through a quick prayer. For anybody in here today who has not made that commitment, who's never prayed a prayer like we're about to pray, I invite you to pray this prayer. I invite you to say, today's the day I'm going to set my mind on Jesus. I'm going to get out of this earthly realm and only thinking about things of this life. And I'm going to think about eternity. And I'm I'm going to fix my heart and my mind on Jesus. If you're ready for that, I would invite you to pray, dear Jesus. I am sorry for the way that I've been living my life without you. I confess to you the sins and the mistakes that I've made. I believe that you died on a cross for those sins. I believe that you died on a cross so that I can have an opportunity to have your peace. And so I commit my life to you today. I ask for your forgiveness. I commit my life to you. I want to live your way for the rest of my life. Make me your child. Give me new purpose, a new identity. And help me to please you. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909 281 7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.